The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Nerds, discover your geeky haven with Twink.com. We've been delivering you the best products and all things pop culture for more than 20 years. Enjoy a wide selection of officially licensed merch from your favorite fandoms. We carry top brands from Disney, Funko, Marvel, and DC, Star Wars, Harry Potter, and much, much more. We also offer an array of exclusives that you won't find anywhere else. With all these collectible goods, you're definitely going to need a bigger boat. Dive in with code WINGEEKS15 to save 15% off your first order at Toink.com. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Join the revolution and save the galaxy. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Want to know more? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is Extreme Freedom Audio Bulletin. It cannot be traced. It cannot be stopped. And it is the only free voice left in the Geek Revolution. Welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. It is the Dashing Duo, Derek and myself, Mike. Uh, hey, Derek, got a couple guests for us this week. Oh, excellent. Uh, from the show, The Smart Lease, uh, which you can now watch on Tubi and on Apple TV, Google TV, Plex TV. Uh, on Plex, you can watch it everywhere except China. I don't know why not China, but that's neither here or there. Um, we have Shelly Smartly. And Floyd Strayer. How's everyone doing? Wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely dynamite. And we're thrilled to be with you. We actually have more questions for you than you have for us. I bet we're fascinated by your background and everything that you do know about film, which is a million times more than we do. We're honored to be here. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, flip, we'll actually flip the tables at the end of the show. Uh, so I don't know if you've listened to any previous episodes. Uh, we have. So, you know, we, we do that at the end of the show. Um, but first off, tell us a little bit about the Smartleys. Our plot is that Eric and I are king and queen of the Minnesota Renaissance Fair. We win $300 million and move, buy a luxury complex on the shores of La Jolla in San Diego, where our entire family lives with us. And they all vie for our fortune nonstop throughout season one. Okay. So I'm going to... Since the way you kind of pause for a second, season one, is there a season two coming? We're working on season two now. In fact, we have eight seasons planned. Our 64th show is going to be our last one. Okay. Uh, 64 shows, 64 bit. Nice video game number as well. So you have every episode until then? I, I, it cut up a little bit. So you have every episode planned out? We have it planned out to have 64. 64. And the arc of the story ends at the 64th show, and so that's that's why, 64. I think it really helps when you're telling a story. If you know the end of the story, then you know where you're going, and you have a great idea of how to get there. 
when there's an open end to a story, uh, I think that the screenwriters can flop all over trying to extend the story or may maybe make the series last longer. And it can ruin the arc of the story and the character development. So we're not going to do that. We're going to let our show have a natural end the same way a book would. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that happen before. <laughs> Here's the first time for everything. <laughs> um, not, not to say we wouldn't accept, you know, uh, a possible spinoff, but. Yeah. And in fact, we have some spinoffs planned. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's very cool. So how long did it take you guys to come up with the idea for the Smarleys? I was struck with the idea very quickly. I, I can almost name the date and the hour that it hit me, but I wanted to bring back classic comedy like you see from 50, 60, 70 years ago. George Burns and Gracie Allen were a great inspiration yeah. for me. And I also wanted to bring back comedy duos uh, where we have two people in conflict working off against, playing off against each other. I wanted to see a lot more than that. And in the Smartleys, we bring back or introduce six new comedy duos to the world of comedy and acting. Now with each season, will the comedic duos grow any or is the cast pretty much set for our cast is set. There might be some slight changes in each season, but very slight. The, the main characters stay the same. We have an ensemble cast of 15 actors who are beyond marvelous they're all like gilligans they're all a star in their own right very distinctive <laughs> and so there some of the characters will be staying the same primarily and some of the characters will be going through significant changes the reason for this we have the entire series takes place on september 2nd 2019 and the next day uh, eric and i will be celebrating our 50th anniversary so we always have something to look forward to and during the pandemic, we found that, you know, humor is a healing force. And that's one thing that we really want to bring to the stage to help heal not only ourselves, but the whole world from what we've all been through. And we want to keep it lighthearted. Uh, but we think that another message is hope and having something for us to look forward to, no matter what it is, gives all of us hope and a reason to live and a reason to get up in the next morning. And, uh, you know, it helps us laugh. And, and get our bearings again. And that's, our mission is to spread joy around the world. And so that's what we're doing with the Smartleys, except for China. <laughs> well, that's only on Plex. They have no so. <laughs> um, how did you decide who, who was going to be in the cast? Uh, what, what was the process for that? That grew a little bit gradually as we began developing the story. I obviously had the arc that Eric and I were going to be king and queen of the Minnesota Renaissance Fair and that we were going to win $300 million. We were going to sort of do a Beverly Hills thing, Beverly Hillbillies thing, by moving from the backwoods uh, to the luxury of La Jolla. And so that part was set. And... But then then we had meetings with our team and gradually fluffed out the rest of the story from there. And so it probably took about three months to get the full idea of the story and the arc of the story, okay. you know, to get the idea of it going. Okay. At what point, Floyd, did you get brought into the project? Uh, we were filming uh, the second um, uh, sizzle or, or pilot 
trying to get it going. And I came in, I uh, auditioned for the role that I have of Preston Smartly, uh, Eric's younger brother, uh, although we're twins, identical twin in this show. Uh, and I, I, from that role, then we, we tried, we got that film, but we needed more for, for our, um, pitch and COVID hit. And then we couldn't do that. And so we started working with these other bits of putting people together, green screen and, and, and working with it from there. And that's how we grew into what we have. We were initially producing it on stage. We were filming live in front of a audience, live audience in a seniors complex. So there was absolutely nothing of that that worked for us going forward when the lockdown happened. So y'all did a lot of filming during the pandemic then? Our entire show was, was actually, we, we had to throw out the entire old show because we couldn't do that anymore. Um, we had to be able to have all of our actors film themselves independently with the green screen on their cell phone doing what they had and what we could use. Our actors are in the United States and Canada. Uh, many of them have never even met, but because of the magic that Floyd was able to develop, it's very hard to tell when you're watching the show. Um, we have a little bit of a different format. Everything is like from the neck up because of the limitation that we had that way. But that worked out to our benefit, too, because we are fantastic to watch on even the smallest of screens. You can still catch the vibe of the entire show. Right. So with, so there, there's a lot of, uh, because of the green screening, a lot of compositing mm -hmm. with the Very scenes. Much. Yes. So there was never a scene where two actors were in the same room together? If they were family or, you know, that close, uh, like my grandson acted with me in the same scene. Okay. Uh, Eric and Shelley, um, and then we have a, a father and daughter uh, okay. duo in it. Uh, he actually has another daughter, but she was never in the same room with him during the. the That's not yeah, yeah. And uh, Eric was not an actor. He's originally from Glasgow, Scotland. And when I first met and we started dating, he was like, you know, I'm very happy to support you being a stand-up comedian and, and with the Smartleys, but I'm not an actor and I'm not a comedian and I don't want to be, but I'll, I'll gladly support you. Well, that lasted until the pandemic and I needed a partner that I could perform with in order for us to go forward with the Smartleys. And I... Very, very lucky that he finally relented, and he's an absolute hit. Um, his Minnesota accent has been praised far and wide. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, he, he's just a natural, as they say, and so we were very lucky. Uh, the same with uh, Floyd is an experienced actor and a stand-up comedian, and his grandson was brand new to it and 16 years old, but... Floyd was able to guide him uh, through that, and he gave a smashing performance, and we're very happy to have him in the crew. So the pandemic forced a lot of new stars into our show, actually, um, from needing to be able to perform together. And I think that that's worked out brilliantly. I, we're grateful for the circumstances that led to that. So you said you had to um, scrap the original show to, to redo it? Yes, uh, did, you, did you make a lot of changes or did you keep a lot the same or how did that work? We kept the same basic premise. We kept the same basic cast. We had to, we had to make some changes because of the pandemic and who we could perform with. But 
uh, I wrote the entire season one from scratch again because we had a different setting. We couldn't have more than two actors on the stage at the same time or in the same room because of how we were uh, building it technically. So, which was good. And I think it has improved the story. I think it improved the humor because there's less distraction. You only have one or two people at a time that are, are talking or interacting, as opposed to a whole room full where you might be focused on another person in the room or other things going on in the background. So I think it benefited us, and, and we're glad, and, and we need to continue doing that format going forward. And did you, did you get to fix anything that was ever bothering you or mm-hmm. like in, make in some, some little – like, you know, sometimes if you, if you have something – that you did and you look back on it and you think, oh, I'd like to maybe change this or change that a little bit. Did you get anything like that? Or I think from my perspective, uh, the thing we got to change was because it was just the two, it was a faster pace. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when it was on stage, I, I, when I was editing what was on stage, there was a, a lot of time that, uh, you know, it was real hard to, to, to tighten it up. This, was instinctively tightening it up because you're just the two people, and I think that uh, made it better. Also, what happened along the way was because of the way that that we were planning on doing this new series, which was, you know, carving entirely new territory, as far as at least as far as we were concerned, we hadn't seen examples of it before. Um, we I totally lost my train of thought there. Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, yes, we threw out the standard script writing procedure. It didn't work for me because I couldn't see the humor. I couldn't see where the punchlines were. And with my background as a stand-up comedian and producing a comedy, we wanted it to be funny. But in pages and pages and pages of luggy script and where they're talking about the characters and the background and who's entering the room and leaving the room, uh, we decided that we had to have nobody entering the room or leaving the room. It needed to be spot on. I mean, the action needed to happen and cut to the next scene, which was another thing for today's audience. Although we wanted to bring back old-fashioned classic comedy and and that relied on more of the writing than any of the sets or special effects, we also needed it to be fast-paced for our limited attention spans today Mm. so that we can appeal to all groups. And by using our own unique script writing format for it where we are identifying the punchlines and the setups and making sure that there wasn't very much space between a setup and the punch uh, that improved we were able to get more humor into it another thing is that uh, it's typical to have either a live audience like we'd started with or canned laughter both Floyd and I absolutely love live laughter and that's what we had you know when we were doing it in front of the live audience but we absolutely hated the canned laughter and I don't think that we're alone in that and we finally made the difficult decision to go completely without any laughter and just like bam there's the punch and here we go on to the next scene and if you need to hit pause well then you need to hit pause that's your problem and not ours there you go that sounds good now to get Laughter or get more of a realistic laughter. Would would you consider taking the new the, the format that you're doing now, um, playing it back to an audience? 
at, the, oh, at this stage in the game? Gone. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's our dream. And, and I can't tell you how many times during production Floyd was saying, I wish that we could play this in front of an audience. I wish that we could see their laughter, you know, that we could just pause it for them and let them laugh as, as long as they need. Um, and, and it's our dream to be able to see that someday, to be able to see that. Floyd and I are both stand-up comedians. And that real laughter from the real audience is nothing in the world replaces that. Stand-up is a live art. And anytime you put anything between that, you lose some of the humor. If anybody wants to laugh, they need to go to a real stand-up show and see real amateur or professional comedians. It doesn't matter. Laughter is contagious. And it induces endorphins when you're in the audience. That's, it's interesting you say that, though, because uh, that format, we actually uh, think it could be a radio show. We yeah. really believe that, you know, it's fast yeah. enough that it could be radio. And so to play that and then record an audience, I, I think would be a, a, an awesome, uh, uh-huh. you know, even if we just do it for the the sake of seeing how it comes out. I mean, in, in many ways, it would be canned laughter, but it would be a, it would be a, a live laughter that's being captured to, yes. to a canned show, to show this organ. wanted in the first place. You know, every laughter is different. And as a comedian, you really learn that fast. There are downright guffaws and there are little tiny giggles. And there's somebody in the audience that gets a case of laughter and they can't stop. And the whole, the whole audience breaks out. It has nothing to do with who's on stage even. And um, that would, to have real laughter and the actual real response of an audience would be fantastic but without that it's fake it's phony it's forced it's um us deciding where the laughs are instead of the audience deciding where the laughs are and the audience can react to a funny face uh it doesn't have to be the spot that i think they're supposed to laugh in the show yeah when when you're performing stand up you know a lot of times you find your best stuff from the audience you know, they react to something you did that you didn't even plan. <laughs> didn't mm-hmm. plan. But you try to make a mental note of it and leave it in because you got a great reaction out of it, and it's a, you know, piece of mm-hmm. art. You're on. It, it's, it's almost like the um, the Rocky Horror scenario. Yeah. I mean, Rocky Horror Picture Show. The the pauses and whatnot weren't planned. It happened, and it turned into such a great audience participation thing. Then they mm-hmm. come out with shock treatment. And Richard O'Brien purposely wrote in all the additional pauses and shock treatment just did not take off the same way as, as Rocky did because. Yeah, because it was pre-planned and it was forced and I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, Sorry. I, and that's exactly where I was going to go. Now being pre-planned and forced, it, it, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel natural. So you couldn't make it work. And mm-hmm. then later down the road, one of the, one of the stars of Rocky Horror Picture Show is in another film that I think could easily turn into another Rocky Horror Picture Show with audience participation. And that's Tim Curry with Clue. Mm-hmm. It's the way Clue is all done. So let me tell you, long story short, too late. Yeah, <laughs> throw that in at the, and whenever Curry's trying to explain what went down. Long story short, too late. The, the counting of the shots type thing, you know, Throughout the film, you know, I don't know how many times I've I've come close to just sitting down with a notebook going, how can I try and enter, get this started somewhere and just start the callbacks to Clue? And the question is, would it go these days? That's the that's whole thing. And and this, I think this is what I like about what y'all are doing with the Smartleys, is y'all are, are slowly trying to encourage 
that type of thought again with, with comedy. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go back to classic comedy, if you look at the sets like in the old Jackie Gleason show, their set was absolutely nothing. Yep. It was one room with maybe a refrigerator and a table and chairs. And that was actually my dream of what we could do with the Smartleys. I, I was fighting with Floyd for months. I don't know how he put up with me. But saying, I don't want any backgrounds. I don't want any backgrounds at all. I just want plain backgrounds, nothing. Uh, but what it was, was I wanted us to focus on being funny. And if we weren't funny in a plain room, we would not be funny in a fancy room. And so eventually, of course, we got the backgrounds. It greatly added to the story. But that was after we had the story developed and after we had the humor built in. And then we did that. And I think if we were blessed with millions of dollars from a studio, that would have been an entirely different thing. And we would have been off chasing after fancy sets and scenery and, and, and everything else that instead of keeping our focus on how can we be funny? How can we lighten people in this serious time? How can we bring the world together instead of tear it apart during these divisive political times? So it, so I take it when y'all go back to recording on a stage in the, with future seasons, would something like a, a box theater be an ideal stage location for y'all to, to work at? Where, you know, it's just a small space where you could do the, you know, quarter wall, you know, two Two quarter walls to, f- to form like a, an angle in a room, the chair, you know, a couple chairs, the fridge. The it it actually could. And we could actually do that with some of our, you know, the ones that are already uh, paired and, and uh, work together. We like you said, we have actor in Canada and East Coast, uh, you know, uh, the Northwest that, you know, they're not going to be here on a regular basis for us to shoot in the way we've been doing it. You know, they basically have the time to get, you know, each of the episodes uh, shot for us. Uh, but that, I mean, that's an idea. We're not going to say no, we're, we're not going to do that. Uh, but our idea, our thought right now is to continue on with what we have. Okay. At least, at least for episode or season two. And, and right now, for the foreseeable future, I have very severe autoimmune disease. And even when the COVID restrictions lift up, I still have to be extremely careful. So Eric and I can perform right. together, but that's pretty much it from from my end, at least. Okay. So, but what's been we wonderful is that we've worked around it. What, what, Floyd? I said we got an age thing going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you whippersnappers. But it, it's wonderful with the format that we do have that our actors can live anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. still participate in our show. And this way we were able to focus on who was the absolute best person in the world for this part. Who was the Gilligan for that part? Instead of having to work with maybe only a local community of actors. Okay. That's been a fun part. Um, when after, you know, they filmed their part. You know, and send it to me. When I show them uh, how I put it together, and they're just at all that they weren't in the same room with that actor. You know, didn't see their part yet, right? And how they have the chemistry they do on screen, and that goes back to casting the role to be the person that you want to see develop out. You know, and it's and we were very very careful with casting, yeah. extremely. Every single we have an ensemble cast of fifteen people. And every single one of them is a Gilligan. They're all a star in their own right. And they're all 
completely identifiable, unique. They all have a different story, uh, backgrounds of story. There, it's not like a show where you might have 10 or 15 people in the room and they're all middle-aged guys. You can't even tell them apart. Um, uh, so people that need sort of an, an easy thing to follow will, will find the Smartleys. Our, our plot is a little bit complex, but at the same time, it's very lighthearted. People don't have to pay that much attention to it if they don't want to, and they can really dig into the behind-the-scene character development if they want to. Okay. Derek, any other questions? Um, not so much a question as a comment. I wanted, I just wanted to say earlier you mentioned doing a, uh, doing kind of doing it as a radio show or something. Mm-hmm. And I would also like to point out, it would make a good podcast as well. True. Yeah. Thank you. We just know how to do that. I, I, I know this sounds funny. We know how to make a TV show that airs internationally. Yeah, we got that down. We just didn't know how to do a podcast. Well, the podcast part's easy. All you got to do is just take the audio portion and uh, burn it to an MP3. And well, there with, go. with the Smartly's website that you have, it's the smartleys.com. Mm-hmm. I'm correct. Yeah, um, it is. Create a RSS feed uh, to, to host your, your audio files, and then you just upload it to whatever platform you want. That sounds marvelous. We might turn to you for more advice on that. We really appreciate it. You probably just made a breakthrough instruction for many people who are listening to this show as well. Well, there, there's also mm-hmm. uh, other groups out there like um, Libsyn, Podbean, Blueberry that uh, you can host your audio on and take your file and they'll create the RSS feed and you can just embed that file onto your website. I actually uh, know Todd Cochran. Uh, who, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so there's a name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he used to work for me when he was uh, with the government. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I've, I reach out to him every now and then with a small question, but yeah, he could talk for hours. Anytime I ask him about he, he would be uh, the person to talk to for sure to really give you the, the finer, finer tweaks. Um, yeah. And he does that quickly. So I've had, yeah. to- <laughs> if, it, if yeah. he, if he gets over your head, let me know. I'll be glad to help too. But uh, Todd, Todd's one of the, <laughs> I was one of the godfathers of podcasting. So, and, yeah, I didn't and, and, he, and a, he and he's the owner of Blueberry. Right. I didn't know there was a podcast um, Hall of Fame, but he is in there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, now y'all talk about y'all have been doing stand up. How did y'all get into stand up and, and how long have y'all been doing stand up? Uh, Floyd, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, Seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, I, I was uh, doing public speaking on uh, suicide prevention and I needed to release my audience. You know, I realized, you know, I've got this very heavy subject. Yeah. Uh, I started Which, studying. I, I want to pause you real quick. For those who don't know, there is a new number for suicide prevention and it's 988. Thank so uh, please. If you know, I don't want to bring us down, I want to keep everyone up because, but if you feel you need to reach out, call 988. Um, that's the new national suicide prevention hotline. It is. Thank you for mentioning that, Mike. Um, cause that, I don't think many people know about it yet, but you know, I, I talking, you know, it's really easy to get real heavy, real quick. And just like we started doing there, you know, so you have to be able to release your audience in the appropriate time. So I started studying uh, comedy, and in order to do that, you got to get up and do it, actually do it to get the timing and everything. Sure. And tra- San Diego has a very nice open mic 
group, you know, very supportive, uh, lots of opportunity. I could go every night if I wanted to and, and get a spot somewhere. So I did that for a year uh, while working I, at night, I, at least four nights a week, I would go do open mics, you know, to work on my timing, find, you know, find my gig. Uh, I don't do it anymore. I, I did it just a few weeks ago, uh, a few about a month ago. I did it just see if I can get up and still do it, you know, because it's, it's tough. It's a different audience every time, you know, and uh, I can. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, <laughs> you got to be funny. So I'm not making a living at it. <laughs> but, but I, you know, the trials of understanding it uh, has helped me in acting um, and obviously doing this too, this show. But you and, and that, he, from that, he then got into acting and from acting, he got into the Smartleys. Yeah. And from the Smartleys, he developed an interest in video editing, and then he became our director and producer. So he really grew into the role, and he grew fast and 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 hard, and and really studied. Thank you. Yeah. And then uh, I got into comedy when uh, I ran an international nonprofit agency for scleroderma and related illnesses for several decades. Which in scleroderma is a very serious disease. And it was a very serious outreach. Then my late husband had a lung transplant, and later he had leukemia and passed away. And when he did, I was like, I have to heal. And to do that, I knew I needed to laugh. And I needed to be around people who were laughing. And two weeks after he passed away, I started going to stand-up comedy shows. Um, and I started going to shows almost every single night of the week. I loved... The company, the camaraderie, the laughing, laughing, the endorphins that you get from from uh, the crowd. There is no comparison. Stand up is a live art. You cannot get the same laughter from TV, even though we're doing it in a TV format now. Also, you can't reach as many people when you're only doing it live. Um, and I, I think I studied stand up then for about three months and then I began performing in shows and nine months later I was gobstruck with the idea for the Smartleys. We began development and we had our first pilot six months later. Did y'all find it hard uh, coming up with content in the beginning or is it still difficult to come up with content? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. We have way too many ideas. Okay. So it's really a matter of toning the ideas down and, uh, you know, keeping it in line with the character development uh, because well, I, it is just fun. Actually, I, I meant more for the, for the stand-up. Oh. oh, for the stand-up. Yes. Uh, stay with your fans. Stay with what your personal stuff. Stay with what you know, you know, what, it, because uh, <laughs> you're going to feel it more. You're going to, you're going to just keep growing it. So I did all mine about it. And I still do about being a Buckeye married to a Latina, you know, <laughs> and the differences from being from Ohio and San Diego. And <laughs> and whenever I start talking about my hometown, you know, my my draw starts coming out and I just and it 
<laughs> yeah, that's the way it comes out on stage. And sometimes it doesn't hit, you know, especially when I go to a place like uh, Ocean Beach, you know, and I get up and right. start doing hip hop or something, you know, they all look at me like, is this guy really going to do this? You know, now, wait, when you say your, your accent comes out and being from Ohio, I'm assuming Southern Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it's just, yeah. Well, I, 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 I I say that because my my dad was born in Ravana, uh, Ravana up near Kent. Ravana? Oh, uh, up I'm in the Kent area. Ravana, so that's why. <laughs> okay. Well, my grandmother was born down in the uh, Lower City area, uh, which is down around Athens. Okay. So yeah. and she she had a a pretty good. It was Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> now she had she had a pretty interesting Ohio accent. You get outside any of the major cities, and it just it, yeah. You know, it, it deteriorates real quick to a to a southern yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, for stand up comedy, it was pretty much of a no brainer. I had a very tumultuous life, and so I have an endless amount of material. Uh, to work on from a stand-up standpoint. And so, in, in fact, one of my uh, comedy teachers turned to me and he said, you know, the problem is you write too much. You, you have too many jokes. You need to really settle on one set and, and keep it that way and, you know, do that set for the next 20 years. And I was like, 20 years? I mean, I have problem sticking to the same set for a week because it's so much fun and I was always thinking of new things and that actually triggered in my brain that maybe I should be writing more than stand-up because I had too many ideas the reason so what, what actually triggered the idea for the smart lease was it an event something um something you saw or something where did the spark come from I'm not entirely sure, but I do know that um, I was running my nonprofit agency still, and I would made arrangements to have somebody come in and relieve me from my position for six months. And it was an hour after I made those arrangements and had everything cleared with the board of directors that I was just hit. Uh, just, gobsmacked is the only word that I can come up with. And I was gobsmacked mm -hmm. with the idea that I wanted to bring back classic comedy like the old George Burns and Gracie Allen. And I wanted to have comedy duos. And, and you know, and uh, three days later, uh, I held auditions for I thought that it would take 10 years to develop a good stand up act with a believable husband. And like George Burns and Gracie Allen were in vaudeville for many years before they ever launched their show. Right. It's not something that happens easily or overnight to come up with a good comedy duo. It's a very special thing. It requires an awful lot of chemistry and it, it takes impeccable timing. And you need to know your partner and be able to rely on them while you're doing it. So uh, anyway, I thought that that process would take 10 years before we were good enough to be on film or on stage to develop that mm. closeness. But three days later, I cast my first uh, partner in the show. And then from there, the cast rapidly developed. And during the pandemic, we had to change that. And my boyfriend, Eric, stepped in as my co-star in the show. He's originally from Glasgow, Scotland. Okay, <laughs> And he has a wonderful Minnesotan accent. He'd like to add. <laughs> well, don't, don't you know? <laughs> well, actually, it's, it's funny. But the Glasgow accent, after being uh, marinated in San Diego for twenty five years, actually turns into pretty much of a Minnesota accent. So <laughs> it worked out really well. 
Um, so you, you said there's, there's going to be eight seasons total. Uh, yeah. So what do we expect with season two? More hijinks. There's, there's going to be eight more ways that Eric tries to kill Preston, and there's going to be eight more ways that Preston tries to get his hands on either Eric's money or his wife or anything. Uh, Preston is the villain of the show, and, and that is Floyd. Floyd is the villain. He's a greedy, narcissistic, sociopathic, histrionic, former golf pro baby brother. And he <laughs> plays the part to the hilt. Uh, our, people should be prepared that our show is kind of melodramatic and campy and over the top uh, because uh, it's more humorous that way. We're, we're funny, and so we set out to be funny. We don't try to be serious people who are having fun. Like that, yeah. It's definitely needed these days. Yes. Yeah. And we also an interesting part of the show is that I think I covered that we all take place on the show takes place on the same day. Yes. Yes, mm. and another part of it is that that our it's a timeless environment. We don't have television sets. We don't have radios or calendars or cell phones. Uh, we don't even have a doorbell, and that forces us to keep the funny front and center because we can't rely on somebody saying, "Oh, let me check my cell phone," or "Let me look at my notebook computer," or "Let's all sit around and watch TV together." That can't happen. There's no TV. That can't happen. Uh, and and because of that, we also don't have anything to do with political. We don't get into any uh, contentious or divis divisive things in society. We're not about changing society, except for we want to raise people's moods. Our mission is to spread joy throughout the world. We want to make people feel better. And I, I think that happens when people can relax and not worry about the serious issues in the world and just kick back and enjoy sort of good old-fashioned comedy that has the new and, and swift and spunky little twist to it. A, a brand new, or not brand new, a, a modern-day independent version of soap. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and also <laughs> Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Oh, I yeah. love that one. Yeah. The precursor to soap. Yes. I think the closest technology we uh, really have touched so far is uh, solar energy, and that's because... Um, Preston wants to invest in solar energy by cutting out the middleman and going direct to a source. Yeah, so he's going to have his initials emblazoned on the sun. There is very little, uh, the Smartleys is not very much in touch with reality. We have a couple of aliens. We have uh, Psychic. We have endless trouble uh, and anything that we want because we can be fun and we set it up in the pilot so that we have the psychological space that we need to be able to go into any direction that we want to build the story for those 64 shows. We're not locked in um, in a very tight manner that would kind of, I don't know, get, we're unpredictable. Uh -huh. And you'll find once you watch the entire season that we are unpredictable. There's a few things that, that will remain constant, um, of like Eric and I opening the show and Eric and I closing the show and, and the different trouble that happens in between a little bit, but it's basically unpredictable. You'll just think that you have a handle on what's going on and a train comes and knocks you right off. Okay. So it, this, the element of surprise is important to me as a comedian and as a writer. 
without being so surprising that people feel knocked off and, and like they don't know what's happening. I, I think that's one of the things I enjoyed about the show when we were when I was watching it was okay. There there is that rhythm to it, and all of a sudden, it's like just as it starts to become predictable, the rhythm changes. Hmm? I was like, wait, I was just getting into that song. Songs changed on the radio. I forgot it was that short. <laughs> type mm-hmm. scenario, but yeah. not in a jarring way. True. Very true. What more were you going to say there, Derek? I was going to say it's more like it, not in a jarring way. More like it. It feels more natural. Thank you. Yeah, and we have. You notice that most of our scenes are only sixty seconds. We have eighteen scenes in every twenty-minute show, and. Uh, so, and we have a little blip, blip, blip at the end of each scene. So you can tell that it's the end of the scene. And it's kind of nice because usually there's a pretty good punchline there and it gives us a second to laugh about it. Um, but we all, we also have a wonderful little jingle. It's called smartly sunny day, which is another element that we're bringing back from the old classic comedy. Um, and that was produced by Hedges Capers, who's a fabulous La Jolla composer. In the 1960s, I think it was, he was in the rock group Hedges and, and Donna. And so you can find old songs of his. He also produced locally a fabulous musical on stage called The Geese and Me. And it was making jokes about old people like crazy. And he had so much fun with it. So we're delighted to have Hedges on our team. And, and the jingle also sets the stage for... Lifting the spirits up and, right. and introducing the show that way. So it's not so harsh that we're just starting off with a joke. And it was actually performed by all the actors prior to going into the COVID one. So when we were on stage, we actually performed it on stage live, too. Oh, wow. uh, yes. The, yes. The singles, so. Yes. And many of the actors in the show are in the uh, produced version of Smartly Sunny Day, including Floyd. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Uh, it, it's mm-hmm. kind of uh, on some of the streaming platforms, they tend to cut off the credits. And we have the Smartly Sunny Day playing at, you know, during the credits as well. And we have very interesting credits. They're, they're colorful and we have pictures of the actors and different things. Even our cats are in the credit. But unfortunately, they do tend to cut that off like. Yeah. So um, we wanted to bring credits back and have credits be a real thing that were actually noteworthy. But mm, I don't know how well we succeeded at that. <laughs> I think I keep trying. Eventually, yeah, we'll keep trying. Maybe someday they'll play all the credits. Maybe if we complain enough, huh? Add some, because, add some acting because, in with it too. What? Add some acting in it, like a little screen and screen. Well, yeah. Well, and that's then that forces it. Yeah, and I was I was planning yeah. that, uh, and I wanted that space to be able to do that. You know, to interrupt it as soon as it gets in. Uh, we have videos in there, but they still cut it off. So. If anybody has a technical idea of how we can actually get our 30 seconds of credits that are interesting and fun and colorful, we'd love to listen to that because it plays the jingle again. And it's at the part where the whole audience should be singing along. And if you've gotten in a good mood from listening to the show, you probably might want to even sing along at the end if you had the chance. Maybe play some outtakes. Roll some outtakes. Yeah. Yeah. The highlights of the outtakes from the show would be great. Yeah. Well, I think we'll do that for season two. Thank you. Do we do we have to pay you for that? <laughs> yes. Are, are, are they going to be joining our production or creative team here? I'm, I'm kind of wondering about this. 
they, uh, they, they, they're chock full of ideas for us that are actually going to be useful going forward. We should have had this meeting a long time ago, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Were you wondering why I was calling you together today? <laughs> <laughs> so was I. Um, <laughs> Derek, you got anything else? I know we've covered a lot very yeah. quickly. Well, it doesn't seem that quick. It seems not quick, but it's not, it actually hasn't been that quick. It seems like it's just been a minute. Yeah, but we're, we're just good with the questions and, and know how to get <clears throat> the right question out there to, to get y'all to talk to. Were there any other shows that the Smartleys reminded you of? Um, for me, it was Soap. It was the okay. biggest one um, type setup. But it also kind of gave me the feel of if um, actually if, if soap took place during the time period of like I Love Lucy, mm-hmm. where it yeah. was the mm-hmm. yeah you, know, you you saw maybe at most on screen four people mm-hmm. on, on screen, mm-hmm. but a lot of times it was it was two people on screen at a time. So yeah, mm-hmm. like a mix, a mix of soap and probably a, I Love Lucy. And as you watch the show, you'll see a little bit more of like Mork and Mindy because you'll have the aliens introduced. And a little, yeah. get a little bit more feel of Beverly Hills as we run into conflicts with La Jolla High Society. Um, there's a little bit of overlay of all of the we really loved from classic comedy, plus like turning it into our own special twist on modern comedy. Yeah, and we might reach back to 1910 and have. Mark Twain show up. So, uh-huh. Oh, oh so, so the reports of his death are greatly, greatly exaggerated. Greatly exaggerated. Yes, we actually have Mark Twain is going to be in season two. And uh, in season one, we have uh, a scene that's an homage to Abbott and Costello. It's funny you mentioned. Oh, right. I was going to say, it's funny you mentioned Twain because that's where I got my start was um, during high school. I was living in upstate New York and we had a during the summer a off-Broadway production called the Mark Twain musical drama and it was about the life of Mark Twain how he came into Elmira met Olivia they got married the travels um and focused all focused on his writing still kind of keep it some, some some touch to to Elmira as well mm. with the yeah, aspect. Did, you, uh, did you know that Floyd is a Mark Twain impersonator I did not. I uh, I played Mark Twain in Mark Twain A Christmas Carol. So okay. uh, Charles Carr uh, published a, a play called Mark Twain A Christmas Carol, which is the same era, actually, Dickens did. Right. Mark Twain was alive at the same time. Uh, so, but it, so it's uh, Christmas Carol set in the South. Okay. And so, narrated by Mark Twain instead of Dickens. And okay. So, so, you, so you know what I mean by... Uh, Elmira and, oh, yeah. and the Langdon Farm, and I hate to I hate to burst Hartford's bubble, but you know, majority of the books were written in in Elmira Farm because she uh, Olivia had a study made to look like a, a riverboat pilot house, um, and that's where he did all his writings. and that And that study is actually on campus at Elmira College. Wow! And um, if if anything, he may have finished like the final chapter to in Hartford, and everything was sent off from Hartford. But the majority of the writings was done in Elmira, is the the hilltop where the study was set. Um, I just remember this from the from the musical. Uh, Twain talks about how he was able to look out from the study, and it reminded him of the shores of. Um, okay, I kind of okay. Yes, Floyd. Oh wow. <laughs> 
But they said it reminded him of, you know, when he would be the bluffs along the Mississippi. Uh, from it's when he, he spent time I have on that. I have that red silk uh, tie, you know, uh, from that era. I needed a pin for it. And on eBay, I found a river pearl. You know what a river yep. pearl is? Yep. A river pearl tie tag from Missouri. Oh, wow. And it, yeah, and the the uh, director thought I was just making a backstory. I said, no, dude, I bought it on eBay strictly from this estate that they were selling from. It came out of Missouri. So I, that was really cool to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and he was just a, a fabulous comedic presence and and writer extraordinaire. I think all comedians, you know, look back even to Mark Twain. You know, he was really one of the original uh, comedic writers in the yeah. United States. Yeah. And he gave birth to an entire industry. In fact, stand-up uh, only happened in the United States after Mark Twain. Uh, it, it was, you know, it's rather a recent invention in the world of comedy, in the world of entertainment. Yeah, shortly after his speaking, different speaking tours, mm-hmm. which may yes. have been the first stand-up comedy tours. Yeah. So, well, I, I, I find it interesting, too, with Twain. He, political correctness with him, <laughs> he told it like it is. And he, he was very blunt about it and was like, look, hide whatever you want. This is reality. And I mean, even then he was having books banned during while he was still alive. So uh, yeah, just it's funny how just, some of his uh, comments or whatever are just so relevant still today, you know, yeah. about government, about, you know, politics, whatever he mentioned, you know, it's still going on. It's just yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of change. Yeah. I mean, it, the comparison I've got is um, you know, working at Disney, you know, Song of the South is, is changing. Mm-hmm. And, um, we were doing, you know, my daughter was questioning and saying, well, it's actual stories that have been recorded, that have been written down, that were stories of told by actual slaves. It's, it's a historic account of their stories. It's a documentation of their stories. And then we looked up uh, some stuff and found that even the author said, this is a, an important book to have been written, but I'm afraid it's going to be misunderstood in the future for what for what it truly is and what's happening. It's being truly misunderstood for what it is. Yeah. It was, yeah. So much of it is, is misunderstood because they don't know the history of, of, you know, what's what, behind it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I think that all entertainment uh, should be taken in the context of when it occurred. Yes. Uh, our society is very rapidly changing. We're hoping, we're planning, you know, we hope with the Smartleys that we're going to be just as relevant 70 years from now as we are today. We tried to create that timeless environment that, that would make that happen. And maybe not with societal changes and stuff, but I still love the comedy from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. I, I and, and even Mark Twain, I think it's just as relevant today as it was back then. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I think that's one of the things I do like about the Smartleys. Uh, like I said, there, there is no... Except for the solar energy, there's really <laughs> nothing that sets it in a specific time period. Mm-hmm. Um, subject matters are more family-based. Uh, as you said, there's no political base. There's no social statements. Mm-hmm. It's all family dynamic. Um, and I think that's one of the things I like about soap. Is, is soap, there's really no... Um, it's almost timeless as well, even mm-hmm. though, you know, some subjects that they do talk about, 
may be a little outdated now, but it's still relevant mm-hmm. because it, like those their, issues are still those issues are still issues. Yeah, and I like their whimsical approach. They didn't take yeah. anything seriously. They made fun of everything, and I, we've had an awful lot of political correctness. And I think that it's time for us to get back to whimsy. Yep. So I'm going to say now's that time. We're going to flip the tables. <clears throat> which I know is the part you two have been waiting for. So I'm going to flip the tables and let y'all ask us a couple questions. Okay. To Mike, I'm going to ask one to Mike and then Floyd can ask one to Derek. But what I'd like to know is if you were in charge of the Smartleys, knowing what you know about it now, how would you want to develop it going forward? <laughs> oh, oh. Honestly, I don't know. Because this is one of those times that I, I took it for what it was and tried not to go, to go too deep into it. I, I was trying to enjoy it for, for what I was getting, uh, which I which I did. Um, well, if you see a laugh track in the future, it's because it was from your idea. So. Well, okay. <laughs> and it's a real laugh track, not a... <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and if you see a podcast in the future, it's because of your ideas. <laughs> We appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, so if you hear us on the radio, it's your fault, Mike. <laughs> it's always my fault. <laughs> this is true. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just don't know exactly how how I would change development of the show. I, I think, you know, the minor tweaks like we've talked about, but I, I think what y'all already have you know, works with your team, with your cast uh, and the chemistry. And it, it's that philosophy, don't fix what's not broken. Mm-hmm. So now, speaking of chemistry, do you know that um, Tommy Lucero, who plays Adair, our 40 year old virgin son and Felicia, the psychic princess who plays his girlfriend. I don't know if you noticed the chemistry between them, but Floyd and I feel like their chemistry is just off the charts, and they've never met each other. That's got that's got to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I unless so unless either one of them's actually married. No, Tommy would agree no. with you. I don't know. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're both single, actually. See, and okay, Floyd would, and yeah, that, would we ever love to see them perform together? But I think Sparks that, would fly. That, that's my development. I, by the end of the, the season eight, they're actually married in real life and on, on screen. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> you called it! You called it! Wonderful. Floyd, what would you have for Derek? Uh, you know, I don't I don't know. I, I, I think the... They they covered so many with stuff with so much stuff with the questions that really gave me some ideas that I'm already <laughs> mulling over. I don't know if I'll have anything else right now. Derek, what would you like to add to the stew? Well, um, I think as you mentioned before, I'd love to see it maybe expand out a little, like into the radio, into the podcast realm and stuff i think there's a a lot of of um different areas that you could bring bring the show to that would be good um you know eventually someday hopefully you can you can do live shows again and uh that's what i would like to see just just go just expand outward with it as much as you can would you like to see smartly's the musical version (laughs) 
I could see that. That could be interesting. Uh, almost like the Fantastics. That's great. Now, oh, now I'm showing also, my theater side. <laughs> we also have an, another thing in development. Floyd, would you like to talk about that? Sure. Uh, a few years ago, um, what was it, 25 or 30 years ago, <laughs> Shelly wrote a book and put it on shelf. And uh, she let me read it. And it's a wonderful, humorous uh, love story that goes through, you know, it's just a great story. It just captivated me from, you know, the first chapter on that uh, I want to see a feature film out of. Oh, cool. So I am uh, I, I'm not a writer <laughs> at all, but I'm learning to write a screenplay right now with mentors. And I've got the first chapter on paper, obviously, it'll go through several iterations before it's done. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna put it into a, a screenplay and try to do a feature film out of it. I uh, well, we're gonna do a feature film. Whether who finances it yet, I don't know. <laughs> it may be me. I don't know. But it's a. Uh, I, no. I yeah, everybody would love it. It's a great oh, story. Independent films still do great in this country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The working title of that is "Struck by Lightning." And we're also going to release the book at the same time. That way people complain, oh, the movie was better than the book or the book was better than the movie. And gives people something to fight about. (laughs) So I'm going to throw it back at you guys. Any other questions for us? I think we're just overwhelmed. This has just been absolutely wonderful. And we so admire um, both of you. We have so much background in the filmmaking industry and what you cover on your podcast is just astounding to me i think you cover more in 20 minutes than i've known in my entire life so we just want to say teach me teach me (laughs) well the funny thing is neither one of us actually have a film background i mean i'm i come from theater but i I i'm an audio background i'm an audio engineer uh eric works in the medical field right eric i remember correct Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, it's just our our love of of films of pop culture uh, a little bit of the, the fact that you know I I know entertainment having been having been in it over thirty you know just over thirty six years uh, mm-hmm. altogether I I know a little tidbits and then you know stuff that we've learned from previous guests of okay and and, and keeping a hold of that terminology or, or stuff that we hear about it's like oh okay now it makes more and more sense the more and more we're we're hearing it through the repetition so we've had we've had the benefit of having a few now uh, quite a few independent filmmakers on and, and other creators and every time we have them on i always i always learn something new or i hear yeah. some new angle on on things so i mean and we've we've had some i guess it's thanks yeah, I, I think a lot of it is thanks to like October Coast for for hooking us up uh, with a lot of our guests, uh, and then you know our our another PR agent that we had worked with, Steve Joiner, um, who who brought us some some people, and he, he even brought us some some older, more well known people uh, as well, um, which you know we thank him too. Uh, but with October Coast, that's where I, I think we we end up getting more of a, a greater appreciation of the independency. Uh, I mean, it's not that we don't want to talk to um, the John Schneiders of the world who mm-hmm. you know, I have interviewed. It was before Derek came along on the show. Uh, and it was when he had just started up his studio in Louisiana. And it was his first independent film that he, he had done at, at his studio. So here we are talking to a to a named star about an independent film. It happened to be his independent film. So 
it, it's um, but we we've talked to so many other uh, great independent uh, creators. Um, like one of the ones that we had talked to uh, was an actress. It was a um, sort of like a, a Goosebumps esque type film. Uh, Goosebumps meets Scooby Doo. Uh, that was aimed for for kids. It more of it, it, it was more kid friendly. Um, and she told us at the time, she goes, "Yeah, I'm also working on a on a Disney original film on a Disney Channel original movie." So I was like, "Okay." So here we are talking to someone who's still at that independent stage, who is working on something that could, and I believe, should have given her more name status after that project. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a lot of our uh, cast are in, in very great productions. We have more information on that, of course, on our so- social media. But Dan McClellan, who plays our drunk, uh, drunken older son who has alcoholic dementia at the start of the show, uh, he's a, a very accomplished actor. And he was just this Monday, Lifetime Channel came out with a show that he's in called Frogging, Hider in the House. The frogging is P-H-R-O-G-G-I-N-G. And it's a true crime story about people who are living in houses that other people are living in as well. Like in the attic or in the basement. It's very spooky. It's especially spooky because it's true crime. And uh, you'd probably just love that to see uh, Dan McClellan in that. And our Quanta Beasley, who is uh, Felicia, the psychic princess, she's been in a lot of shows, uh, even including Criminal Minds. And she also does a lot of stage work. I mean, our whole cast is very, very accomplished. And, uh, well, at least a lot of them, not me. This is my first time out. Very cool. So, yeah, I mean, we we definitely love the independent scene and definitely... um, Loves to see what's, what's coming out of it and, and support it. And it almost feel, uh, it's almost like the minor leagues in, in pro sports, the independence. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get better stuff than, than at the, at the pro or at the, at the top pro rank. Well, we weren't, um, constricted by anything a, a studio had to tell us. We were able to come up with our own ideas for the script, our own ideas for the characters, our own direction for the show. We were able to break new ground and we were able to do that because there was nobody telling us, no, we couldn't do it. When I first uh, began development of the Smartleys, everybody at first was like, yay, rah, rah, we're going to bring back classic comedy with the Smartly twist. And a couple of months into that, somebody was saying, oh, you know, I think we should be doing uh, something just like exactly like Modern Family, only a little bit different. And I was like, no, we're indie. They have millions of dollars. There's no way that we can compete with the talent and the resources that they have by doing a cheap imitation knockoff of another story. And then somebody else was saying, well, you know, in Hollywood, you can't have a cast of 15 people. That's just not going to cut it. Your budget's going to be lower than that. You need to get rid of the children. They're too hard to work with. And you need to have a cast of four. And nobody wants to be from Minnesota. You know, what, what's this Minnesota? You can't even find it on the map. Uh, hello, Fargo. <laughs> I know. I thought that Minnesota is the funniest accent of all and the funniest place to be from. Laverne Shirley. Um, yeah. And they, and they said, days. oh, don't buy this this big senior, you know, this big complex called Smartleyville. You need you and Eric need to um, buy a, a nursing home. And, and that would be a good plot. Well, and this was advice from industry professionals. 
And it's like, there was none of that. That was my vision. There was none of that that I could see us implementing. And I think that that happens to an awful lot of people who are creating within the studio environment is that they're forced into the pigeonholes of things that have already been done. But indies, if they're able to hold true to their own vision, if they have a vision that's unique, I think they're in an amazing position to actually change some of the course of entertainment. Right. And I think it is happening with the indies changing the course. Thank you. The, the, yeah, the uh, the demand for content is giving us, giving indie the platforms yeah. to actually get out and people to see it without having to go through Hollywood funnel. Uh, you know, the funnel there that, uh, no, that's not what we're looking for, you know, type of thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not pie in the sky to where I would I would turn down the paycheck if someone offered me. Right. Offered me oh, and would. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I do believe there's uh, room for us out there uh, for everybody to to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that the, the Indies are in the ideal position and maybe the only position to actually influence the direction of the entertainment industry. I, I think so. I think so. So I think that what you're doing is absolutely marvelous and bringing awareness of it. And, of course, we absolutely adore working with October Coast. They've been completely amazing. And I can see how you love working with them. Yes. Clint and the team is awesome. Yes, so, absolutely. They're they're just on the money from start to finish. Uh, so. I was going to say any final thoughts, but I think we just had some major final thoughts right there. I think we have. So yeah, thank you so much. Hopefully, uh, go check out the Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> the Smartleys. The Smartleys. Smartleys. Yeah, go check out the Smartleys. I was getting ready to write that down. I'm not so smart. <laughs> Um, go check out the Smartleys on Tubi, on Google TV, mm. Apple TV, Plex TV, unless you're in China, then your host. Um, check out their site at thesmartleys.com. Uh, where can they find you guys on social media? Uh, all of our links to social media are on our site. People should probably know that we're smelled, smelled, spelled smart, L-Y-S. Uh, so that they get it spelled correctly. Uh, they'll want to search for us on Tubi and on Plex uh, by name using the smart L-Y-S uh, because otherwise we're brand new and we're probably pretty hard to find. Excellent. And on that note, hopefully we didn't leave y'all at wanting to know more. <laughs> So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production.